You just have to be still. If you're still, you'll feel me on a different dimension. He's teaching you how to be still. How to reach out with your spirit to where he is. So often we reach out with our soul and not with our spirit. In the past we were trying to touch God by what we do, but that's only a very small step into devotion. It's not about you touching God. It's about you allowing him to touch you. That takes rest. It takes dis discipline. It takes some patience to allow God to come in and touch you. As I said, I one morning I was... I couldn't sit still so I had to get up and walk away and the Holy Spirit said where are you going and I said well I don't feel quite right to come into your presence he said sit down I want to teach you something you come just as you are dirty socks and all you come just as you are breakthrough for me that was because I felt I had to get myself in the proper holy position to come into my quiet time so God himself is the beginning and is the end and he's all the way through. The Holy Spirit is training our heart to behold God. Let him touch you. So often this is at odds with our Western way of thinking where we prize activity above everything else. We feel we've got to do something in our quiet times, achieve something. We need to just sit there and adore him. Inspire me, Holy Spirit, should be our prayer. Come with nothing to do except to sit and learn how to wait and rest and be still. When your mind wanders off, bring it back again. Take time to discipline your soul in peace and rest. There's nowhere to go in devotion, you're already there. Because God is devoted to you, there's not anything to achieve and no, no place to get yourself to. He's placed you in Christ, you're there. And he's the Alpha, and he's the Omega. And the point is to learn to enjoy the discipline of resting. It's a great thing to do. It's an enjoyable thing. Don't look at it, I've got to learn this so as I can get there. That's Martha at it again. God's saying, just enjoy it for the sake of enjoying it, because I'm in it and I'm enjoying it. There's no place to get to because you're already there. You're already there because I'm here. Enjoy my presence. Enjoy the discipline of learning how to rest. This little picture is something that uh, Graham tells the story of, I don't know if you know uh, about it. His wife and the kids decided they'd have a dog. And it was a white dog, small. Um, what did he call it? Five pounds, you know, five pounds special. Which meant it was all sorts. You never knew what you were getting. Five pounds special, this dog. He didn't know which way it was going because it looked the same both ends, uh, and it bounced everywhere. And it had—they um, lived in the country at this time—and and it would get out and run down the lane, crawl through the fence or the gate, and be seen riding round on the backs of the horses. It would jump up there and ride round like a circus dog. Now he decided he was going to get this thing to sit, so he kept pushing the back end down. Sit sit and eventually after about three months it would sit but as soon as he got up it walked after him so then it's the next thing is stay 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 so he gets it to sit and he gets it to stay and he was away in the Philippines or somewhere having a terrible time with warfare and all sorts of things crying out to God just not knowing what to do and he hears in his heart sit 
Sit, stay, stay. Hello, <laughs> trying to teach you to rest, Graham. <laughs> Get your bottom down. Sit, stay. So that's what that little picture is that I imagined at first that I had this scruffy dog, both ends, wagging, tail hanging out one end, tail, tongue hanging out the other. And I got it on a lead attached to my right ankle. And every time it went off, like my mind wanders off, I'd yank it and say, come here, sit. Because your mind has a tendency to run off, doesn't it? And my mind would always go off after a smelly old dustbin to see what you could find in there, you know, like a dog would do. So I drew that little picture. Uh, there are copies of it somewhere here. I did bring them down, I think, yeah, there if you want them, just for the fun of it. <coughs> So it's sit, stay, get it attached to your foot and it won't go. So Luke 10.38 and the story of Mary and Martha. Lord, do you not care that she's leaving me to do all this? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, one thing is needed. And the house represents a place of devotion. And Martha represents our soul. And your soul, your mind... Your emotions and your will wants activity. It can't just sit around. It's got to be doing something, got to achieve something. What's it done in this day? It wants to see. Your soul uh, wants to be getting its, its goal sets. It wants to do something. It needs to be praying, needs to be reading, needs to be studying or doing something to justify its existence. It needs goals, it needs things to achieve, which is not wrong. But when it begins to strive to reach God or receive God, it's reaching out and it's pressure, pressure, pressure. No peace. But Mary represents our spirit. She simply sat at the feet of Jesus. And our spirit has an attitude. It's always at rest. It's your soul that gets agitated. So how many of us first thing in the morning just feel a song rising up? Your spirit never stops worshipping. You wake up in the night and find you're singing a song or there's a song going through in your mind. That's your spirit. It's always occupied with the presence of God. Totally focused 24-7. So your spirit instinctively and intuitively rests very easily. The problem is that the soul likes to dominate so the soul will complain about the spirit you're not helping me your spirit needs to rise up and dominate your soul there are times when I say to my mind shut up I want some peace around here because it's going in high gear and I don't want to know shut up you have to dominate the thing our soul wants life on its terms it's as I say made up of mind emotions and will and these areas are subject to all the external influences and other voices and distortions come from all over the place and they have an effect and an influence on us your spirit is tuned only to God whatever the Holy Spirit is doing if you allow your spirit to rise up your spirit will automatically tune into that frequency and enjoy God so it's stay tuned problem is that we let our soul dominate what we're doing and our soul has preferences. Our spirit just wants to do what God's doing. It just wants to hang out in the Holy Ghost. 
your soul wants to dominate. I don't like that. I don't like that kind of music. It's not for me. Your soul loves to dominate. Your spirit doesn't mind. It wants to get on and worship God. So there is a discipline to rest. If we go into other churches that don't worship the way we do, we need to be able to just worship God just the same. Whether what's coming across from the front pleases us or not, that's not the issue. That's just one of style. You're going there to worship him, not to see what they're doing up the front. Peace. Hebrews 4.4 4, uh, The rest of God God's seventh day was man's first so man began the earth on in the earth in rest and that's what God is bringing us back to your first job in devotion is to learn to rest priority of your life is to learn how to be still to learn how to rest there's nothing to accomplish because God's done everything there's no place to get to. It's not about getting anywhere. We're there already. God has placed us in the one place where we can always get our needs met. In Christ. With a quiet time, we're not trying to get somewhere. We're just being what God wants us to be. And that's the thing the Holy Spirit has to teach us. Your spirit must rule over your soul. If it doesn't, your soul will pull a Martha on you. Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Your soul can't rest, it's not capable of it. It needs to be tuned into your spirit and under the dominion uh, and uh, benevolent dictatorship of the Holy Spirit. So resting in God is the central issue of devotion or your quiet time. It's the central issue of your relationship with God. Being at rest, being at peace. It's a discipline like anything else. Difficulties are there for us to practice our peace. That's what they're there for. Sometimes we manage it, sometimes we don't. But every day is a new day in God, so we get to try again. God is the most peaceful person you will ever meet in your life. He's not bothered about anything. He's absolutely in control of everything. He says, my peace I give to you. He's the Prince of Peace. Rest and peace are the strongest part of our devotional life and our relationship with God. Okay, lovely. So there's a discipline here that the Holy Spirit wants to teach you and then support you in it. Rest is not inactivity, it's focus. Resting is focus on the person of God and you have to work at it. You have to labour to enter into that rest contradiction in terms you have to work at being at peace peace is not going to drop out of the sky at you the Holy Spirit wants to give you peace and you have to work at it Jesus in John 15 7 says abide in me and I'll abide in you and you will ask what you will and it will be done for you dwell remain abide in me whenever God shows you something for the first time he always sets a precedent and teaches a principle God is very principle-centred. When he teaches you something for the first time, he sets a principle and a precedent in your life, and that's your constant. Because God is a constant, when he sets those things, they stay the same. Principles, precepts, constants. That's how it works. This is how I will always do it for you. You will know where you are. It's, absolute, it's brilliant. So if you're always in your soul, being active, 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 you deny him, 
the pleasure of entry into your life because your activity actually keeps the door closed. If you practice rest and stillness, you will open a door for him to come in. Problem is, our mind wanders all over the place, doesn't it? Martha was distracted. Resting is the discipline of bringing your mind under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's training your mind to come back under the rule of the Spirit. It's not emptying your mind, it's filling it with something that God wants. Isaiah 26.3 says, He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on him. He'll keep you in perfect peace if your mind is fixed on him. Now it's okay to go and keep fetching your mind back. You should hear Graham on this one. He says to the Holy Spirit, says, I'll come with you we'll go and get it back again. He doesn't mind how often you go and get it back. Doggy. It's being trained not to wander. God enjoys helping you to fetch your mind back. There's no place to get to. You're not learning. You're learning how to be. He's the beginning and the end. Enjoy the journey. Doesn't matter if it takes weeks, months, or years. But one day your mind will sit where you put it. One day your mind will learn to be under the control of the spirit, and then we can get onto the stage too. So have fun. If it wanders, just go and get it. We'll go together. But one day your mind will realise it can't get away with this. Sometimes just saying his name, Jesus, there's something about being in his presence and beholding him where we're transformed by his presence, not by what we're doing. Where the spirit is, we read it just now, didn't we? There is liberty. And uh, any of you know Smith Wigglesworth? There was a time I remember when um, he went to pray for someone and there was a gathering round the bed and he said, we're just going to say the name of Jesus. And they just kept saying the name of Jesus and suddenly the bed began to shake. And the person in it began to shake and the person was healed. Because that was what God was saying, just say the name of Jesus. That's all they did. That's all they did. If you're living in your soul, you may distress your life and cause distress to other people. But being in that place of rest and peace, peace surrounds you because it fills you. Your spirit is always centred on Jesus and God's happy to wait while you train your mind and the Holy Spirit will love helping you come to peace and be at rest. Sometimes we get so hung up on the destination we forget to enjoy the journey. God wants you to enjoy the journey of discipline and learning to rest. He's going to have great fun teaching you. He's going to delight in teaching you. He's going to love walking out with you to bring your mind back. He's going to love teaching you. He loves to be present. And as you practice rest, as you allow your spirit to rise, there's a delight in God about you. He loves you. He has a passion for you that is outstanding. You will discover there's a delight in God's heart for you that will bring tears to your eyes. And I guarantee there will be times when you will be overcome, helpless, in tears, with the sheer magnitude of the love of God in your own life. He is the kindest person you'll ever know. Remember Joyce at the dinner table, I think it was last night, saying that she's learning to call him Dada. And she couldn't help but cry because this whole thing she's going through has softened her heart to such an extent that he's been able to touch her. She's so different. 
be relaxed then in devotion. Don't come with things to do. Don't come with an agenda. Just come to experience rest and peace. And the Holy Spirit will begin to say, this is what I'd like to do today. This is what I'd like to show you. Learn about being in his presence. Learn to wait quietly in the presence of God. Faith and stillness are important to your spirit. Focus on Jesus. Say his name. When that mind wanders off, bring it back. Sad years of having its own way, it'll take a few months to train. With God, if you learn how to rest, things happen so much more quickly. I have actually learnt uh, that the more patient I am, the quicker God moves. And the more impatient I am, the longer I have to wait. He slows things down. It's exciting to bring your soul under the rule of your spirit. So take time to discipline this thing into peace and rest throughout the day, not just when you're worried about things. If you practice the discipline of rest, God will help you. But he helps you in strange ways by sending the odd storm. Helps you. This is where you have to link in to how he thinks. Mark 4, story of the storm on the lake. Do you really think that Jesus didn't know there was going to be a storm? He sees the storm brewing and he thinks, great opportunity for a boat ride. Storm coming, boat ride. He suggests the boat ride because of the storm. Perfect opportunity to teach the guys about rest. God will allow the odd storm, some very odd ones, because he's teaching you how to rest. Why does God speak in a still small voice, in a whisper? Mm. It's because he's training you to be still, to be quiet. Sometimes when we're crying out, we expect God to speak at the same strength as we're shouting, but he never does. Shouting's okay, but you have to train your heart to hear the whisper. Graham says he never answers at the same decibel level as we pray. <coughs> I heard him say that, God, help me! I am. God, hear me! I am. God, answer me! Say something! Shut up. It's <laughs> <laughs> really funny to listen to him. So, still being quiet. I love Psalm 46. Opens with an earthquake and ends with be still, which is typical of God in the midst of an earthquake. He's whispering. Apparently the worst thing you can do in, in, a, in an earthquake is to move about. The thing you should do is to take your shoes off, stand still and feel what the ground is doing. So when everything's collapsing and falling apart around you, God's saying, be still. Take your shoes off, stand still, feel the ground. The thing is that if you only train yourself to stillness when things are going alright, you're missing the point because you won't be peaceful then when things are going all wrong. Your soul will pull a martha on you. You have to train yourself to stillness all the time so that when the storm comes, you are still. The disciples were shaking him awake. Master, don't you care that we're perishing? This was your idea, now look. In parenthesis. God does actually orchestrate the occasional storm in our lives. He does it. It's him. It's not the enemy, though he's active as well. And at those times, we really do need to find out who's doing what to whom so we can position ourselves correctly before God. Because whenever God is moving and working and creating a storm, the enemy will take the platform to come in and slide in on the top of it or on the back of it. 
So you have to discern what's going on and turf the other fella off because he will just make things ten times worse if he gets half a chance. So in rest and in stillness there's always something to see because that's where God becomes visible to your senses, to your heart. That's where he makes himself real. As Christians we've got two lives. We have an inward one and an outward one. The inward man of the spirit and the outward man of the soul. The inward life depends totally on God. That's your Mary. 100% occupied with Jesus in worship and prayer. Waiting, stillness, focus. That's the inward love of God for himself, not just for what he does. But the outward life of the soul deals with all the practical issues of life. It's your Martha. Survival needs, living, working, work relationships, home relationships. Your soul can worry about anything, you know. I said I was having a beano on Sunday night because of Joyce had said that Clark Esther was brimming over. I'm thinking we've got six of us in the house. And I could see the, again, wild imagination. The lid of the Clark Esther coming up and everything spilling out into the garden. Then I'm listening for the pump to see if the pump is working. Hear nothing. I'm saying, Lord, let me hear the pump working. Not a thing. So I spend a couple of hours or four anguishing about this in the night with the school in the morning, thinking, why am I going shut up, Martha? Why am I going on about this? Get up the next morning, Joyce comes up. And I said, have you managed to arrange the pumping out of the doodah? Oh, yes, they're coming on Tuesday. Hmm. And I said, I didn't hear the pump working in the night. She said, oh, it's going all right. She said, I was out there yesterday. I was out there this morning. It's going <laughs> I spent about four hours worrying about that when I could have been at peace and asleep. Learning fast. You can't teach on these things without getting tested, I tell you. <laughs> ah. So Martha deals with the outward things and your soul is in acquisition wants to acquire things you might come to a school like this because your soul wants to get something so it's always after acquiring something nothing wrong with that but your soul always concentrates on doing and your spirit always concentrates on being so while you're here let your spirit rise so that something can soak into your spirit I don't actually want to reinforce your striving while you're here. I want to build up your capacity to rest. Your outer life experiences pain, hunger, fear, doubt, anxiety, caught up in a battle. Affected and influenced by the outward things. And all these things are legitimate, but our inward life is always caught up with God. It's affected and influenced only by Him. His peace, His rest, His love, His stillness. Your inner man responds to God and your outer man reacts to circumstances. Paul said, The life I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You have to decide each day which place you're going to live from. Mary or Martha, you've got to make the choice. It's not a one-off or once in a lifetime. It's a choice you have to make every day, all day, throughout the day. We're learning to live from the inside to the outside. Many of us have been trying to live from the outside and trying to get something from God into our life. But the walk with God works from the inside 
to the outside. A lot of us have had an experience like that guy in John 5, sick, sick for 38 years, waiting for something to happen. He had this kind of idea in his mind that wasn't really true, that the angel dips his big toe in the water and the first one in got healed. But of course he never got in. We live in our life waiting for something to happen. Or like that man, we're living our lives waiting for God to do something. It's like he's out there somewhere. But he isn't out there only. He's in here. And the life of God he's given you is meant to rise up from the inside and bubble up. There's nothing he's going to give you from the out there. It's all going to come from in here. But only if you let your spirit behold God. And suddenly the life that God has put within you begins to bubble up. 1 John 2, 20-27 You have an anointing. You have a resident anointing inside you right now. Right now, whatever your circumstances, you have a resident anointing inside you that will teach you whatever God wants you to know. And every time you go through something, that resident anointing is built up. It's like a well that fills up. So you go through a situation and a circumstance and your well gets filled up more as a result of what you've gone through if you're going through it in the right way because it will add to your inner anointing. You just don't want your water like being like an overflowing butt and, and losing it. You don't want it flowing away. Um, I think one of the first conferences was uh, of, of Graham's was about um, digging out prophetic wells and holding on to, to the water that God puts in and, and continuously allowing that level to rise so that anyone that you come into contact with can drink from your water. Sometimes it's still, sometimes it's sparkling, depends on. And you can drink yourself from your own inner well of anointing. That's what I mean at, at lunchtime or whenever it was we were talking each sheep needs to learn to hear the shepherd's voice for themselves. We can no longer go and, as Rick Joyner says in one of his most recent articles, get a crust of bread thrown to us once a month or once a week when we go. It's thrown into the pen and that's all there is. We need to be able to feed and forage for ourselves and to, to learn how to dig into the wells that are in the Word of God and study and grow by ourselves. I saw a picture once of a field full of sheep and they were like up to their ankles in this lush green grass. They're all looking up and looking round at each other, nice and white and fat and fluffy. You're not fat, you're fluffy. And uh, I said, Lord, why are they not eating the grass? What's well, they're not sheep always munch all the time, like horses, munch, 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 munch. They're always eating, if not biting each other. And um, he said, look in their mouth. So I opened the mouth of one of the sheep, not a tooth in its head. I said, it's got no teeth. He said, well, no, it's been milk fed. It's never been talked. The grass is there. No teeth, can't eat it. Pew fodder. You go. You like the sermon, you don't like the sermon, that's all you get. You never get taught to feed for yourself. Imperative that we learn how to study and to actually feed from the Word of God ourselves. So, 
we can joyfully accept whatever comes into our life because there's peace and rest that helps us to discriminate and adds to our inner anointing. But there are questions we need to ask when we come up against a circumstance. Is this God? Is this the devil? Am I reaping what I've sown? Are you nailing something in my life? Is this the cross at work? Is this training for reigning? Sometimes it's a mixture of all of those. But it's really important to find out. Because when you find out, then you can know how to pray, how to position, position yourself and petition. You can know whether it's a repentance issue, whether you've got to retrace your steps a bit, you can, or whether you're fighting something that is a demonic force and you go back into your spirit. You just need to know how to position yourself. So you need to ask some questions. When you're at rest, whatever comes into your life, the Holy Spirit automatically helps you to categorize what's happening. And the first question, if something bad happens, is, Father, am I reaping what I've sown? If so, now's a good point to deal with it. Repent, break the cycle, so those things don't come back. If the answer to that is no, then the second question is, Lord, are you nailing something in me? Is this the work of the cross? You need to realise that both God and the devil have one thing in common. They're both trying to kill you. The devil wants to steal your life, kill your faith and destroy your relationships. God has come to kill your flesh and he's not apologising for it. If there are things in your life that didn't ought to be there, he's going to nail them very happily. It's called the cross at work. If you get through those issues then, Lord, is this the enemy? And what do I do in response to this? How do I tackle this particular thing? If you're living in a place of rest and peace, that resident anointing kicks in. Some people, no matter what's happening, they're binding the enemy right, left and centre. You can't bind the cross, you can only embrace it. If you're binding it, then there's something not happening in your life. The brilliant thing is that God has given us the Holy Spirit, your own personal comforter, so you can throw the biscuit barrel away. Don't need it anymore. When Graham was teaching on this, he said, you can throw the chocolates away and look straight at me. And I thought, I don't eat lots of chocolates, honestly. <laughs> and he grinned. He's got a way of grinning when he says something like that. So we've got the Holy Spirit. He's our comforter. He's our tutor. He's the one that we distress, de-stress ourselves in. That's how I managed to stop the booze the second time round. He's my de-stressor. He taught me how to de-stress myself in God. He loves to educate you in the presence of God and show you how God thinks. He loves to reveal how God works. God reveals himself from start to finish in the Bible and he doesn't stop because he wants to reveal himself all the time to us. And one of the great prayers that he loves you to pray is, Lord, show me your ways, teach me your paths. The Holy Spirit will get you to pray that prayer as many times as he can because he loves to show you, loves to teach you God's ways. He's always close by, always hides right next to you, but you have to let the Spirit tune your heart to see him and your ears to hear him. And you need perspective. You need to see in the realm of the supernatural and its rest, its stillness, its quietness, its beholding the face of God. It's allowing your spirit to rise up over your soul 
that trains you to see the hand of God no matter what's happening. Perspective flows out of rest. Don't focus on the experiences you're having. Focus on the person who's giving it to you. Enjoy the experience you're having, but love the one who's giving it to you. Don't live in your circumstances. Don't live in your life. Don't live in your ministry. Learn to live in the heart of a God who adores you and gave himself for you. You know, Graham says there's no good days, no bad days, only days of grace. And sometimes the grace of God allows you to enjoy what's happening. And sometimes the grace of God allows you to endure what's happening. Only days of grace. As Graham would say, the Bible definition of a bad hair day, this is, this is priceless. You've just given birth to a child that is not your husband's. You're living in a stable and the place is a mess. And you've got three kings coming round for coffee. <laughs> Wait for God in the inner man of your spirit. If he doesn't answer initially, he will eventually. It's one of the prime lessons is you sit there and you're asking, you're praying, you're praying, you're waiting, nothing, zilch, nana, nothing. So think, Father, Father, did you hear that prayer? Silence, silence. And you eventually learn that if he doesn't answer initially, he will eventually, because he jolly well will. So you go off and you do your business and you're doing something completely different and suddenly... It drops into your heart the answer. And you know when you've got the answer to something. You might be doing something, thinking something, and it's totally unrelated, but you know immediately. You know the time when I'm sitting here minding my own business, doing my lines after a hefty day, and the Lord said, when are you going to do it then? And I knew immediately what he meant. <laughs> when are you going to start holding church here on a Sunday morning? <laughs> How did I know? Intuitively, I knew what he was talking about. Nothing had been on my mind about anything like that. Okay, I was waiting for you to tell me, actually. <laughs> I'll do it in November. Why can't you do it in October? Well, Joyce won't be here. What's Joyce got to do? Look, I do. Try a little argue, but it didn't work. Ah, wait for God in the inner man of your spirit. Practice turning to him on the inside to behold him. Your soul will be transformed as your spirit engages in its prime activity, enjoying the presence of God. And John 7:38 says, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of your innermost being, out of your heart, the life of God flows up and out through your mouth, comes out in praise, in prayer, confession, from the inside to the outside and there are rivers so that they can touch everybody with whom you come into contact you don't just have a river you have a different one to contact a different person with whom you come into contact there is a different river the river that I would perhaps touch June with would not be the same as I would touch Sue with so there are rivers coming out everybody gets enough John 4.14 but the water I give him will become in him a fountain whoosh, springing up into everlasting life. A fountain. On the surface of your life there is a bubbling up of God's spirit when things are going well. But under the surface, when everything is in turmoil in your life, there's a place of stillness 
where you can draw water from God. It's always there. Are you drinking sparkling water or still water today? God bottles both kinds. Are you drinking sparkling water right now? Things going well, it's bubbling up, it's brilliant. Or are you in a place of conflict and turmoil right now? Well, there's a still place. It's a fountain or it's a well. What are you drinking? Just different water for different situations. Your soul has to feel Jesus to believe his presence, but your spirit works at a much deeper level. It has only to believe. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it will be content with that. Your spirit has its own language apart from tongues, which is wonderful, but there's a language in rest. Never doubt that God loves you. Never doubt that God is with you. Never doubt that God listens to you. And never doubt that God is speaking to you. We're all learning to give all our attention to turning within and dwelling in our spirit. John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. Don't be discouraged if it doesn't come easily. Just remember, God is the beginning and the end. The only thing to achieve is him. He's there, even in the struggle, with you, and that's part of the enjoyment of it. In the struggle, he's there with you. So you can enjoy the struggle because he's there. The only thing to achieve is God, and he's here, so it's done. Think about that one. But you have to be faithful in withdrawing your heart from outward distraction. Form the habit of turning inward to God. Return to the centre of your being where God abides in your spirit. If you mess it up, that's okay. That's another thing the Holy Spirit wants to teach you. To perfect the art of bouncing back. Those little weebles, they wobble, but they don't fall down. There's a quality in your spirit, no matter what comes at your life, your spirit just comes straight back. The Bible says that God works in you to do two things both to will and to do that's the kindness of God he helps you to will it and then he helps you to do it intimacy with God's about allowing the rubbish to get out so the love of God can get in so don't be surprised you're sitting here right now thinking I can't be intimate because I've got all these things in my life that are wrong you're in the perfect place and you're right on schedule it's brilliant if you've got stuff surfacing, it's God that's bringing it to the surface so he can get rid of it. Intimacy is about allowing the rubbish to get out so the love of God can get in. Just allow him to take it and then fill you. It takes God to love God. We started with that yesterday, didn't we? Only God can love God. God living in your spirit will love God with you and for you. It's like when we were children used to ask our parents for money to buy them a present. It's exactly the same thing. God's just like that. He gives us love to love him with. Because we couldn't do it otherwise. Same with prayer. Find out what God wants and ask him to do it. So you receive what God wants you to pray about. You pray about it and you know with a certainty those things are going to get answered. It's the passion of God for you that will increase the passion of God in you for him. The difficulty is that many of us have not been touched by the delight of God and the joy of God. God has such joy in you. He has such delight in you. 
Let God's delight for you touch you and you'll be delighted about being in the presence of God. We love him because he first loved us. Don't worry about your mind or your emotions, your soul. You change your mind and the Holy Spirit will change your emotions. They sort of trot along behind as you change your mind. Sounds like a good deal to me. Understand this about devotion. God has put a divine yes in your heart. There's something in you that wants to say yes all the time, even when you mean no. And you end up saying yes. Have you ever had that? It's the loveliness of God that will conquer your soul. It's not your striving to be different. It's the loveliness of God that comes in and touches you. It's the loveliness of God that conquers your soul and our selfishness. God doesn't need a reason to love you. He is the reason himself. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. We couldn't have cared less. He couldn't have cared more. He doesn't love us because of what we're doing, how I'm living my life, how I'm serving him. But he is the reason he loves me. He loves because of who he is. That's Mike Bickle. You are the reason you love me. He's, everything is tied up in him and he, he loves us because he's the reason he loves us. We haven't earned it, we haven't done anything. Because of who he is, he loves us. So, Amen. Thank you for listening.